Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Hello and welcome to Affected by Altitude, a podcast by Purple Row, the Rockies affiliate of SB Nation. I am your host, Skylar Timmons, and it is a joyous occasion because I am once again joined by my wonderful cohorts here, Mac, Mac Wilcox. Hey, yo, baseball's back, nothing else in life matters. <laughs> that is true. And our good buddy, Evan <laughs> I wasn't having a nervous breakdown over the fa- I, possibility of no baseball the other day. No way. I, I Not had at all. faith the Not whole at all. time. Well, you totally. it probably means more to you because it was your birthday the day that the deal was agreed to. Yeah, this is all all me. You're welcome, everybody. Birthday Facts. candle wishes do come true. <laughs> I literally did post right. on my Twitter in the morning. It's like, it's my birthday. All I want is confirmation that baseball is going to happen this year. Hey, and it came true. Happy birthday, It brother. worked. But it, we got a ton to talk about today uh, because, if you haven't heard, baseball is back, baby. Because as of Friday, uh, March 10th, so Mario Day, uh, MLB yes, and the Players Union agreed to a new CBA deal Uh Season will start April 7th. Rockies will start April 8th at home. Spring training is getting underway right now. Free transactions are ready to go. Free agent signings can now happen. Trades, everything is now able to happen. And we got a whole slew of changes in the world of baseball. So we're going to kind of skip over the icebreaker today because there's just not enough time to talk about everything and include that icebreaker. But I will ask this, Mm. just... One word reaction, or whatever. What was your reaction when you heard the news that the lockout was over and the deal had been agreed to? We'll start with Mac. 
elation. Just bliss. <laughs> there you go. That's How mine. about you, Evan? Literal tears of joy. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how it was. I was, you know, give the single fist pump while I was sitting there looking at my phone. I was playing MLB The Show, and then the news broke, and I was like, oh, man, I got got to pause this. And I immediately turned everything (laughs) off, grabbed my computer, and went and was watching MLB Network to get all the news and soak it in and everything. So Mario Day turned out a pretty good day. I seriously, on the 9th when – the league came out and announced that they were canceling more games. I was legitimately like so sad, so upset, so frustrated. And then for the very next day to turn around and bam, baseball is back was mm-hmm. just such a huge deal. Well, so yeah, awesome. it had been in these last couple of weeks. We'd see reporters on Twitter where there's optimism kind of building. Oh, and everybody's kind of thinking, oh, a deal's going to happen soon, or it's getting close. But then there'd be a wrench in the plans, and it would just deflate everything. Yep. And, no, yeah, I think a lot of people were in that same boat, Evan, on Thursday night. When it's like, yeah, we're not getting a deal. We're canceling games. Here's these hang-ups. It's going to be a long, long time before we get games again. Then, less than like 24 hours later, boom, baseball's back. It was a rough go. Yeah, that... That Wednesday night, I was feeling particularly sour, and and I've talked about it a little bit, but it always seemed to be um, from the same two reporters, John Heyman and Bob Nightingale, of, oh, optimism, baseball's coming back, everything's going so well. And then the ownership group would throw in something in the last minute, like the international draft or something else that would rub the players the wrong way. They'd reject the deal, and then... The same two writers, normally John Hayman would be like, the tone has changed. Who knows when we're going to get baseball back? And it had been like that since, you know, a couple weeks ago when negotiations finally actually started. And so it was really Mm -hmm. hard to have faith that things were going to be, you know, back. But then yesterday, and it even looked like yesterday that things were a little... um a little in the weeds in terms of if things were actually going to work out because it was like the league threw in this thing last minute again and the executive subcommittee is not on board and, you know, what are we going to do? It's the next quote-unquote deadline that the league has set. Are they going to cancel even more games? What's going to happen? But then all of a sudden, bam. Yeah, and I think that's an important point. That was the interesting thing yesterday where MLB or the union did agree to drop uh, the 2020 COVID lawsuit that they had, that they were working on. They did drop that one. They didn't drop the grievance one from earlier. I think around 2018 was the one MLB was looking for them to also drop. But that kind of got people's wheels turning. But then it was that subcommittee, when the news is coming out, the executive subcommittee for the union, yeah, they're not in favor of it. No, and they ended up voting 8-0 to zero against, which uh, that you thought as soon as that happened, the rest of the players, everybody, they would follow what the community did. They decided not to. All the reps, all the rest of the teams, they go 26-4 in favor uh, to pass the deal, which I think that was the stunner for a lot of people that, oh, man, they didn't follow what the subcommittee was doing. So that is an interesting right. thing to see with that whole voting process. 
So for those who are not aware of how it works with um, Players Union voting for the approval of the collective bargaining agreement, there is a eight-person executive subcommittee. These are basically the head honchos of the union, including folks like Max Scherzer. And then every team has a uh, union representative, so there are then 30 of those. Uh, the Rockies union representative is Scott Oberg. And so when the executive subcommittee voted 8 nothing against, everyone was feeling a little, uh, little worried, as it were. But I think, not necessarily that there's a schism, but it's pretty clear how the rest of the union was feeling with, out of the 30 uh, union reps for each team, 26 of them voted in favor for ratifying the CBA. That That's sort of where we were at um mm -hmm. skyler you noted here on our little document that we're running through um some interesting things like how five of the eight members of the executive subcommittee are scott boris clients which is definitely interesting the one of the running narratives that it seemed like the ownership group was trying to push over these negotiations was that scott boris was like the secret shadow representative in the union pulling all the strings which is which is obviously not true though it is just an interesting coincidence that you know five of the eight members of that subcommittee board are boris clients well, well that and you look mm -hmm. at you no know, some of the the big contracts that some of those guys have on that subcommittee francisco lindor garrett cole max scherzer so you can't help but think that that might be playing a factor into things because one of the reports was that that subcommittee, they wanted the uh, collective bargaining tax thresholds even higher. They still wanted them to get pushed up even higher. Uh, but I think a lot of the other agents, the rest of the union, you know, are a lot of guys who just want to play baseball and finally felt that it was a point like, yeah, we want a full season. We want to get paid for a full season. And, you know, they just want to play baseball. But... A pretty fun, well, not fun, but just kind of harrowing experience as fans to just sit on the sidelines and watch that whole thing play out. Mm -hmm. I never want to experience this again. <laughs> Don't worry, Sam's we'll go through it again been, in five years. It has been yeah, right. <laughs> absolutely brutal last couple months, and I'm really hoping that maybe the next CBA um bargaining period is going to be a lot less contentious because something that this is not a perfect CBA and we'll go through some of the details uh, here in this episode, but I think they got it to a point where the players feel as though they have definitely made some major improvements and the owners still feel like they also were able to quote unquote win um, all 30 owners voted in favor of ratifying the CBA. There were no holdouts, which is interesting, um, just because throughout the whole process, there were definitely rumors of like breakaway groups of owners. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf for the White, White Sox, for example, is rumored to be like really pushing against getting this done because he wants to really you know break down the union. But all 30 owners voted in favor, and then we had that major um, voting in favor from the players. And I think that'll definitely help in terms of the next CBA where it sort of felt 
this year, like the players were really trying to make up for, you know, a couple decades of really bad CBAs by going for everything all at once. And I can totally understand why they would do that. But at least with this one, it seems like they made some major progress and then they can build upon that later. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, the biggest thing. No, but I, I can't help but think, and I'll direct this to Mac, would we have gotten to this point if MLB had actually, if everybody had started negotiating December 1st and it continued all the way through December and January? Well, uh, I think it did. I, I, I think it would absolutely have happened. And that's what's kind of, I think, and I want to get to like how positive it is that we're back, obviously. But I do think that this is like a major frustration for a lot of fans, especially, is because like the conversation just stopped arbitrarily for like two months, right? Like for no real reason. Not like, you know, because of any sort of scheduling conflicts or anything like that. Like it just stopped. Like they were just like, no, we're not going to talk about this for a while for no real reason. And you look at the terms of the CBA, which we'll get into here in just a little bit, and it's like, there's nothing in here that's, like, groundbreaking, right? Like, there's some changes, and there's some things that we really like, we were talking about before I even started recording, that we really dig. But, like, there was no reason that these conversations could not have kept going into December and into January and into early February. Like, there was no, there was no, you know, there was no real reason for us to, to go through the song and dance of having a lockout for a month and a half. We could have gotten here after continued negotiations. And like you guys said, I think the disparity that exists between the owners and the players, I think, you know, I don't necessarily know if we're going to go through this again in five years, but I definitely don't think that we're done with this conversation. I'm glad that it got fixed. I'm glad that the CBA is signed and ready to go. I'm obviously over the moon to have baseball back, but I definitely think this is a conversation we're going to have five years from now. Well, and Mac, I totally agree. And there's been some really great uh, articles coming out, especially from the likes of you know Jeff Passan and, and Ken Rosenthal, about how it's really you know Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball's responsibility to over the next five years rebuild that relationship between the league and the players. Absolutely, because there is a very clear schism and there was a schism going into the the end of this this last cba and into the negotiation period there is no reason why the owners group and the league needed to wait 43 days in order to reach out to the union and start negotiations after the lockout started and there was no reason for there to be a lockout to begin with i remind people again and again and again the lockout had nothing to do with the players going let's be locked out. The players did not have agency in terms of a lockout. It is a unilateral and unanimous move from the owners and the commissioner. So that was totally unnecessary. And I think starting that Mm -hmm. lockout, which was under the guise of, Rob Manfred said, jump-starting negotiations, led to a lot of resentment. And then the waiting 43 days to actually come to the table just let feelings stew more and more and more. And so by the time things got started, everybody's already mad. And then as negotiations continued to go pretty poorly for the majority of these sessions, people just continued to get, you know, bitter and acrimonious and resentful and angry. And things just weren't on a playing field where it felt like actual negotiations were taking place until honestly, like the last couple of days. 
Yeah, these two groups, they knew the project. They were in this group project in college, and they just didn't do anything. Maybe one side was trying to do their part, but the other side was dragging their feet. Primarily, MLB was dragging their feet, not getting their part done in the project. And then finally, oh, crap, the season's about to start. We better buckle down and get this thing done. It's unfortunate that it had to work out that way, but... Luckily, another mm-hmm. testament to the wonders of procrastination that they were able to get the project <laughs> done, turn it in. No, and I'd give it a solid B. Get a solid grade, the yeah. Power absolutely. of last minute panic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, totally. It really is. There were a lot of unnecessary moves from, and I'm I'm firmly, as I'm sure you can tell, I'm firmly on the side of the players in this argument. But there were a lot of unnecessary moves from both sides here where you had the league putting in the lockout and then stripping all of the players and current news from their websites and from the film room and highlights and stuff like that. And then you have the, the really dug in their heelsness of the executive subcommittee on the union side. And things didn't have to go this way. And it was really frustrating because throughout the entire process, the real people who were losing was the fan base and like the, the utilization of that PR machine as it were to try and get people on one individual side or the other. I think we really saw the pendulum move a lot, especially when um, the other day, when the league at the last minute pushed for the implementation of the international draft and tying it to the qualifying offer. And then when the players rejected that, you saw a lot of the sentiment switch where, you know, the, the players lost a lot of backing on social media and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It, it, It was a battle of PR. I think you hit it right on the head of the nail right there, Evan where ultimately it did become a PR battle for the fans to try and sway either side. And perhaps that social media influence did help change some things. No, because if you look at where both sides started for their asks, MLB was considerably much lower than where where the players' union was asking for. And ultimately, MLB comes up to $230 million for the first threshold starting in 2022. And it, that whole instant social media, everything, the fans backing, all these negotiations, the players were able to get gains in areas where they needed. And you know, I think this has changed the perspective for a lot of fans, you know, where they stand with the game as a whole. Because this whole lockout and everything, the negotiations, yeah. it, it was detrimental to the sport and to the fans. Wouldn't you agree, Mac? Absolutely, it was detrimental, especially, and Scott, you kind of alluded to this, in a time when baseball, I think, is really trying to find its identity with a younger fan base and with a more diverse fan base, stuff like this is the last thing you need, right? Like, we have all these marketable superstars that we talked, we've talked about this before on the podcast, how baseball could do a lot more work with marketing its players and its, its teams and its history and everything like that. And then on top of really trying to you know, sort of engage with a wider audience, then you have a lockout, a self-imposed lockout that, you know, creates all this dissent and bad blood and puts into question even having all the games in a season. It is like the absolute last thing you want to see happen. 
And it's kind of what you guys have been alluding to, just this complete disconnect between the ownership of, you know, the league and the vision for what they have in the future. And we're definitely the outliers here. Like, the three of us and a lot of our fellow writers is like, we're the, we're the diehards where, you know, regardless of what happened, we were probably going to come back. But your casual totally. fan on the outside looking in who doesn't really know a lot about, you know, CBA negotiations or or some of the finer details of what's going on is going to be turned off by this kind of thing. And we definitely saw that. Absolutely. And when you're entering spring, when you're entering March and April and May, and there are other avenues popping up for their sports interests to go to, like uh, the USFL spring football is starting in April. The uh, NHL and NBA seasons are really hitting their strides right about now as we gear up towards playoff time. They're going to find another place to pursue their interests where, yeah, baseball's great and all, good way to spend an afternoon, but it's not a necessity for them versus like... Mm -hmm. The, the super fans who probably would have, you know, stuck by the entire time are less likely to get turned away. It's the opportunity to expand your audience that you're really losing out on. Yeah, and that's kind of the big thing. And I think that was one of the many things that fits into these negotiations as we kind of get into you know, the changes. And I think the biggest thing was trying to improve spending and improve kind of the money that was flowing through the sport and the big you know, battle point for these two sides was the collective bargaining tax threshold, which comes up a bunch. So here's how it lays out over the course of this contract. $230 million starting this year for 2022. Then it hops up to $233 million the next year, $237 million, then to $241 million, and then ending at $244 million over the course of this five-year collective bargaining agreement. And... That is massive upside for the players who were arguing get higher thresholds. That'll improve spending, incentivize teams to spend more to get these big-name players and try to win. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this one with the, with the thresholds? Is it good for baseball? Is it good to have these really high ones? Or are you still kind of wary? I'll start with Evan. Um, it's tough because I think the – the raising of the threshold is good because you don't want to turn people away from spending. But at the same time, I wish there was more that they could do to really push for the skinflint teams, like, you know, your Orioles and your pirates and stuff like that to actually spend money. Like I would have loved to see the implementation of a salary floor in addition to the increased CBT mm -hmm. thresholds. But at this point, I'm, I'm really not sure how they're going to enforce that. And I think these thresholds are, are pretty solid. I know the union was pushing for higher, especially at the end of the CBA period, where they wanted it to start at 238 and then end at 262. And now we're starting at 230 and ending at 244. I think that's really solid middle ground in terms of the, um, in terms of the two groups. And, you saw that the the teams that really were against it were your, in general, much more high-spending teams. And I'm not really even necessarily against the idea of a salary cap, because I think the richer teams, especially you do see um, 
you know, the owners who are willing to spend a lot of money are willing to spend up to that cap and even potentially go over the pat, uh, over that, uh, mark and really, you know, be willing to incur some of the penalties. We saw that we've seen the Dodgers do that. We saw the Mets really spend a lot of money, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because there is still, I think enough parity in the league, you know, not necessarily with your, with your bad and your, your really cheapskate teams, but like, you know, we saw the Atlanta Braves win the World Series this year, and they were not the same big spenders to the degree that, say, the Dodgers were, and they beat the Dodgers in order to get to the World Series. So I think this is a solid mark. Boy, I think Evan nailed it. I'm not, you know what I mean? I, I think that's pretty much exactly um, in agreement with what I was thinking. I, I, I don't know the specifics of the salary stuff as well as Evan does. Evan's a great um, sort of resource for that uh in our little group here but i'm with evan i think it would be nice to kind of do something about like he said the concept of teams just kind of skating by but i do think this is a good middle ground right now i understand why um there would be a hang-up about this but i think right now is the best we were going to get out of it i think a lot of this deal is the best we were getting out of this time at this time honestly but i do think that this is a solid enough agreement for right now it's not going to change the way you know, the resources of baseball work on a fundamental level. But I do think it's going to get the job done in such a way that it'll incentivize teams to, you know, maybe bring in that next star player or spend a little more money without totally breaking the bank and making it Yeah, uneven. and I think that was a big thing for the owners that you'd hear because I think Steve Cohen, of the owner of the Mets, he was the one that a lot of these owners are scared of with runaway spending uh, because the dude is loaded, sure. if you didn't know. And... That was one of the things, and so to try and, I guess, stop some of that runaway spending, implementing another tier in the taxes penalties, uh, basically what they called the Steve Cohen tax, to try and you know, deter some of them from doing that runaway spending. Because that is the hard part here in baseball with you no know, salary cap or anything. Some teams have m- way more money that they are willing to spend on a big-name player to try and get to the postseason. And then, unfortunately, you have teams like the Orioles or the Pirates who are working on a shoestring budget because they're wanting to try and rebuild uh, without spending and competing. So baseball, that whole economic salaries and everything, it is you get a wide berth, cast a wide net of different approaches. Um, But hopefully, I think the big thing would be you can get teams that are spending close to maybe, you know, not necessarily everybody having two hundred million dollar, having two hundred million dollar payrolls, but maybe at least getting up to like a hundred and fifty, averaging that as a league or something. Just mm-hmm. encouraging people to spend, so you can get to the postseason. You can win championships because that's what the whole sport's about. Well, at least it should be about for some teams, but it should be right. Yeah. So hopefully that does a lot to encourage them oh, and that opens up some avenues for other teams that were maybe holding back on getting that big name free agent just because they couldn't afford it in the cap so maybe a little less shedding of payrolls for some teams to stay under the thresholds and everything like we saw teams mm-hmm. doing at the deadline last season but so that's a big thing uh, we'll touch on one or two more things then we'll take a break and then get right back into it but minimum salaries, this was another one. Players, 
Union, one of their goals is to get the younger guys paid sooner, get them more money. So minimum salary has increased to 700000 a year and then increasing by 20000 per year. And there's also an increase for the minimum salary for young players uh, on the minor league rosters in AAA, which is a good thing for them. But mm-hmm. specifically, what impact does that raising of the minimum salary have for some of these younger guys that are just getting started here in the big leagues? That's a huge one, man. That's a that's a big one. Like I said, I'm a little bit apathetic on a couple of these CBA spots, but this one was a big one for me. Uh, listen, man, I think that there's one of the big, uh, I think, talking points of this whole lockdown situation, lockout situation, was the idea of it's all it's millionaires versus billionaires, right? We've heard this before, but like that's not the case for the majority of the players, right? A lot of them are these kind of fringe minor league guys that were just kind of getting by on nowhere near as much money as some of the, the top, top, top 1% players. I'm happy about the the minimum salary increase. 700K is reasonable for a lot of these guys on the 40-man roster. I think it's an excellent spot for them to be in. I'm glad that they're being paid what they are owed. And uh, yeah, this is those ones I really look at as a huge win for the player side. The big thing for me, I think, is the uh, huge increase in the minor league minimum salaries for minor leaguers who are on the 40-man roster. Because, you know, unfortunately, that's not something that really gets addressed with the union because minor leaguers are not part of the players' union. But players in the minor league systems are drastically underpaid. Mm. And the huge bump in pay you get for being put on the 40-man roster I think is is really important because these guys have been sort of scraping by and now that they've sort of are getting close to the big leagues they get that pretty drastic jump in in salary where you know before this new CBA they weren't uh the pay for the um the first year of being on the 40 man roster was only $46,000 roughly and you know that's not a ton for someone who's been playing professional baseball for years and is on the verge of breaking into the major leagues compared to the major league minimum salary and of course there's still a big gap between the 40 man salary and the uh major league minimum salary but in the new CBA the salary starts at roughly $57,000, which is a much more livable wage for a, a higher level minor league player than, than it had been before. And I think that's absolutely, that's really, really important. So with the, with the new CBA, um, it's going to be, uh, starting at $57,200 and by 2026, the maximum that someone getting uh, paid on the 40-man roster while being a minor leaguer is going to be about $127,000. Um, obviously, plenty of numbers uh, in between there, but the fact that that range has increased dramatically is, I think, really important. Definitely. Well, and that those pay increases, perhaps that can work as some incentive of guys no, up in their game even more. Give that extra motivation. Like, I need to get up onto that 40-man roster oh, up in AAA so I can start making the big bucks. Oh, mm-hmm. so yeah. It's a much more, like, a, obtainable goal of, you know, when you're in high A and you're getting paid peanuts of being like, you just got to make it to the majors and then you'll get be, being 
get being paid the big bucks. Now it's you make it to the 40 man and you're on the door and you're getting paid a livable wage. Yeah, that should be a really big thing. And I think another aspect of them trying to help these younger players get paid was a new introduction that the players came up with that MLB agreed upon. It was the money that really was the <laughs> the sticking point. But this pre-arbitration bonus pool for helping guys that are playing at the major league level, playing at an elite level, helping them get paid you know, with these extra bonuses. Aside, whereas in the past, guy has a great season. Well, he's still making minimum salary the next season. You know, like a Vlad Guerrero Jr. who comes in second in the MVP in the American League as a what his third year or so in the big leagues. Now he he would have gotten a huge bonus as a part of this. So it's a $50 million pre-arbitration bonus pool that's divided among the teams, I believe. Uh, I'm still foggy on the details, but more or less the idea is to award you know, the top players in baseball, award those guys for being among the best players in baseball so they can kind of get these big, nice bonuses to reward them for their efforts, which... I, I'm a fan of that. It, it's good to award those young players you know, who do have a fantastic rookie season or you know, all these other things. They're able to get a a kick in their uh, in their paycheck for that season, which uh, I think that goes a long way in helping them. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you make of this one, Evan? Because I know this is sort of a sort of an interesting one, uh, getting into these pre-arbitration pools. So. It's interesting. The The union was definitely pushing for a lot more in terms of this. They were originally pushing for age-based free agency and uh, arbitration after two years. They conceded on both of those and moved to this arbitration pool. And they originally had a higher number of, I think it was about $110 million to be spread across the top 30 uh, eligible players by war. And that, and that clearly got dropped uh, as well. Um, they were also pushing for increased Super 2 eligibility, which they ended up uh, conceding on as well. So they made a lot of concessions. And for the longest time, the league was was not really putting a lot of money into this pre-arbitration pool. They were sort of hovering around 10 to $20 million total. And I think 50 is a really good halfway mark. I don't really know all the specifics of how they're going to spend it out, other than it's going to be for the... Um, top-performing, eligible players across the league. But I really do agree that it's important to sort of reward your your really top-performing young guys who are still not getting these big contracts because if they're pre-arbitration and they can't even argue that they are worth, uh, you know, what they think they are worth, they're stuck on, on whatever their minimum salary can be, this way they can sort of push to be getting paid more what they deserve for their performance before they hit that arbitration period. And I think that really is important because like you said earlier with guys like, you know, Vladdy Jr. Vladdy Jr. was incredible last year and he's still on his, you know, league minimum salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think all this stuff to get younger players paid more, you know, reward them because – the majority of baseball, like Max said, it's not millionaires versus billionaires. The majority of Major right. League Baseball players aren't millionaires. It's guys that are in their, you know, zero to three time in, in the big leagues. So it, it's important to get these guys rewarded because they make up 
the blood of the game. They are the life of the game, and there's so many young, wonderful players, and not everybody's going to get a huge extension in their third season like Fernando Tatis Jr. or Wander Franco getting a gigantic deal after half a season. So it's going to reward a lot of these other guys that play well, reward them for that. Uh, and it gives other guys, again, motivation. Maybe it pushes some of these other younger guys you know, to work a little harder, improve their game even more, so they can be making those bonus pools and everything. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the minimum salary increases are important because you really shouldn't hold like making a decent wage, especially for players who are on the 40-man and haven't busted into the big leagues yet. You shouldn't really hold like you know being able to survive hostage based entirely on performance. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think that that pay increase is really important. But then once you make it to that point, the idea of, well, I've worked this hard already – I work a little bit harder and I can make even more versus I need to work hard just to make a living wage. Now I think it is a lot more that you can sort of incentivize really boosting your, your performance to the best of your abilities. Yeah. So I I think overall, a lot of these things to help improve just the money that's being flooded into the game to the players and everything. I think it will be better for the game as a whole may improve the product, but it's at least incentivizing competition, which there's a lot more things baseball's done that we'll talk about in a second. But for right now, we're going to take a quick break. We come back, plenty more to talk about with the CBA, and we'll touch on a little bit of our good old Colorado Rockies. So don't go anywhere. We'll be Welcome back to Affected by Altitude. We are talking the CBA lock or CBA negotiations, a new agreement between MLB and MLBPA. Uh, still tons to talk about, changes to the game. Uh, probably won't go in depth on everything, but we'll hit on a bunch of this stuff. First and foremost, one of the newest things, uh, I think this is wanted by everybody, it was about time, a universal DH is coming to the National League. Pitchers will no longer hit. Uh, happy, sad. You guys, do you guys like this rule? You know, Skyler, you and I were talking about this before we uh, hopped on the hopped on the recording session here today. And three years ago, I'd have hated this. I, it's not baseball, right? Like it's not the way it's been done. National League, best league, all that. I have completely 180. I've totally flipped it. I'm all about it. I think it's time. It's just like I told you, man. Like I, once you hear National League pitchers talking about how much they want a DH and how it's better for the game and it's better for their health and their careers. Like, it's hard for me to argue with that. And I know you, uh, you told me about Brett Anderson. I want to steal your story. Um, but you mentioned Brett Anderson as just an example of like these pitchers that go up to bunt or swing a bat and then they, you know, pull something or they, you know, take a fastball off their finger and they're out for the next six months. Like it's not worth it to me. Uh, get another hitter on there, get another, you know, spot added to your lineup i'm about it i think it's time i think it's been time and i'm happy with it so i'm a little conflicted definitely mac i'm on board with with what you're saying where it's a couple years ago i would have been totally against it and for the most part i am in favor of it here especially what you're talking about with like injuries and the fact that like sack bunting has really been on the decline in general with bunting as a whole in the uh in major league baseball 
And the one, my one caveat where I am, I am sort of bummed is that there are some really great hitting pitchers out there, like say the Rockies on Herman Marquez. And I think as long as if they want to hit, we can still get them the occasional opportunities to do so. I'm, I'm all on board. Cause like, Herman is a pretty good hitter, and he should have won the Silver Slugger last year, which unfortunately is going to end up being the last Silver Slugger um, for the for the pitching category. But I think if you have guys that want to hit, you should still be able to afford them the opportunities to do so. Like if Herman says, hey, this game, I want to go out there and have some at-bats, I think you should absolutely let him. But then for the most part, being able to add an additional offensive spot to your lineup and get at bats for guys who are not necessarily going to be playing the field or or frequently fielding but their their strength is at the plate i think that's really good yeah it the the sad part is you're not going to have that difference between the american league and national league anymore no that kind of like i guess fun little thing is gone now Uh, you won't have to see an american league pitcher all of a sudden have to stand in the on deck stand in the box in a national league ballpark anymore so that kind of magic's gone, but I think overall it's just better for the offense in the game, a game that's still having too many strikeouts and you no know, pitchers, unfortunately, over the years. You know, yeah, there's the good ones, but they're few and far in between nowadays. And having a pitcher come up and try to bunt a you know, 100-mile-an-hour fastball, you know, I'd much rather not have a guy in that situation. You know, and so it's I, it was about time, and... Yeah, or like those at-bats where the pitcher's at the plate and they've been instructed to just literally not move, take pitches and see if you draw a walk, yeah. and that's it. Right. Like, we can do without those. Those are not necessary at-bats. People are not going to miss those. And the way the game overall in general, you know, most guys in college, they're not hitting if they're just strictly a pitcher. Minor leagues, for the most part, you're never stepping in to take an at-bat. You know, and so it's not really until you're on the big league club in the National League that you're getting regular reps at the plate. And so, you know, that's several years where they're hardly swinging a bat, and then all of a sudden, every five days, you need to go out there and take an at-bat or two and try to bunt and all that stuff. So Yeah, and you're totally right with the college stuff, where it's unless you're a dual-position mm-hmm. player, like you both pitch and play, you know, right field, you're not getting regular at-bats. Yeah, so... It's about time, and I think a lot of the National League pitchers are happy about it. Um, but I think part of this implementation of the National D or the Universal DH, starting in 2023, the schedule is changing a little bit, where every team will play at least one series against every other team, and there'll be a little less divisional opponents, uh, and you'll just play against everybody, which I think is a wonderful thing to implement into the game, uh, because that's something I've always wanted is to see more of these other teams instead of the well, we're playing the National League, or we're playing the American League East this year, and then we don't see them for like three or four years. So I, I think yeah, I think that's I'm a definitely thing. happy to not have to wait like mm-hmm. three to four years to see some of the teams in the American League um, come to Coors Field, where it's like I have a buddy who, God bless him, is a Boston Red Sox fan, but you know I've Ugh. we've been wanting to go to a game together where both of our teams play each other, and I. It's been a couple years since the since the Red Sox last came to Coors Field, and now this makes it a little easier, even in general, to see players you might not necessarily know about or want to learn more about or teams that you don't really get to see come more frequently to 
Coors Field, and I think that is nothing but a good thing. This is something I've actually wanted for a while. So, Mac, you can watch the Rockies play the White Sox once a year. Uh, that's right, brother. No, I, I'm about – I'm at the same thing with y'all both, man. I think this is great. I talked to my dad about this, who's a real old seam head, and uh, he didn't like it because, you know, he's all about those interdivisional rivalries. But I was thinking, man, like, you know, is the rivalry really that much more fiery if the Rockies play the Dodgers, like – 20 times in a season as opposed to 36 or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love it. I think it's, again, we, we talked at the top of this podcast about expanding the fan base and letting your players be seen by a, water, by a wider audience. And that's what this is, right? More people are going to get to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. More people are going to see Herman Marquez, right? And Antonio Sensatella. More people are going to see these teams and these players that they would not normally be able to. I think it's great. I, I'm sure... There's a conversation we had about travel and and how it affects the players' mileage, which I totally am open to hearing and obviously learning more about. But as far as just taking it face value, I love this change. Yeah, think about you know some kid in Chicago getting to hear that Josie is indeed on a vacation far oh my away. God. <laughs> I can't believe it. And that maybe they should come around and talk it over. <sighs> I, just I like this in general years. because. Well, I will gladly take less games against the Dodgers and Giants in the National League West. You know, and I think that kind of makes some of those divisional races a little bit more interesting. It makes every game they play against each other a little bit more meaningful. But then you're going to be watching the other teams throughout yes. the season. You know, like, oh, man, the Dodgers are beating up on this team. We don't see them again for the rest of this year. We need to start winning some games. You know, those type of things. So I, I – Personally, I yes. think it's going to make some of these races a little bit more interesting, uh, especially with the postseason the way it is, what we'll talk about in a second. The other thing to consider with that part of it, specifically, Skylar, that I like you brought up, is that, like, and again, like, I am a secondary White Sox fan, and I love the White Sox, but, like, they have been the – they've got the benefit of playing in a really bad division, right? Let's just be – let's just call a spade a spade. The AL Central is not a very strong division right now, and the White Sox have kind of been beating up on teams like the Twins and the Tigers and the Royals for the past few seasons just to get into the playoffs as a division winner and get bounced by, you know, the runner-up team in the AL West because they kind of inflate their schedule based on those wins. And now, under this new concept of playing all these other teams, you don't get to do that, right? You play all these other really good teams across the league. You can't just skate into the playoffs just by beating all these last place teams in your not very good division you have to prove yeah that and that's ultimately what those playoffs are for <laughs> to, and everything but i, I just love that Absolutely. idea of no one like mac was saying expands the game you can see more teams you know that's going to be a big boost for a lot of other clubs like hey the yankees are coming to town and people are just going to come out of the woodworks and like fill up a stadium uh wherever the yankees go but well, just the importance of some of those series, you no, know, here's one series the Rockies are playing against against you know, the Tampa Bay Rays or one of the top teams in the American League. They just have this one three-game series, but their season hinges whether they're going to be in contention or if they're going to get kicked out and fall out of the, the running for the playoffs. I just like thinking about those things and just the implementations and the the assumptions that that totally. that schedule can have and the impact. No. So I, I'm I'm really excited for that. 
Me too. Which yeah. that leads into our next thing here. 12 team expanded postseason. That was a big sticking point. No, MLB, the owners really wanted expanded playoffs. They wanted 14, but the players came up to 12 and they stuck at 12. And I are you guys excited about expanded postseason? Uh Evan, what what what's your take here on the postseason now? I would have preferred we stay where we're at. The major change I wanted for postseason was that we should keep the wild card as a best of three series instead of the one and done. Like it never it's never made sense to me that the wild card is a one and done when the entire rest of the season and every other uh, part of the playoffs is all based on winning the series because, you know, that's how baseball works. But I think 12 is a lot better than 14. 14 is is way too Mm -hmm. much. Like, there's no point for playing a 162-game season if half the league is going to be in the playoffs. So I think 12 is better than 14, and maybe it will incentivize you know, some of the the smaller teams to maybe try a little harder to compete and spend a little bit more money if it means they can actually get uh, into the playoffs, is what I'm hoping at least. Um, the union did say that they would agree to um, 14 with some very specific stipulations that the league didn't appear to like, like, um, you know, ghost games that made things uh, a little bit easier for the division winners and stuff like that. And so I think, you know, meeting at 12 is is all right. And, and it's important because this just adds on an extra wild card for each league. So there'll be three wild cards and three division winners. The top two division winners with the best records, they'll get a bye into the <laughs> division series. And then the third division winner, uh, he'll they'll play in the wild card round against whatever the seeding is, uh, but they'll play in a best of three with the higher record, the higher seed, hosting all three games. So that's going to incentivize, no, you really got to get rewarded for winning that division in this 12-team postseason so you can get that buy in the first round, keep all your guys fresh. Uh, So I I think it'll be good, maybe incentivize some guys. What's your take on it, Mac? No, yeah, I'm with you, man. I think you pretty much nailed it. Obviously, I'm kind of with Evan in the concept that I think we had a pretty good playoff setup as it was. But yeah, 12 is certainly better than 14. I hear that number 14 in a 30-team league, and you're just like, really? Like, half of the teams get in? So, okay, as long as you finish a game or two over 500, you're probably in, right? (laughs) I do think 12 is a decent compromise. Um, You know, it'll be cool... Obviously, let's just call it what it is. Like, it probably benefits the teams like the Rockies, right? These teams that are kind of fringe and probably wouldn't get into the playoffs otherwise. So I'm fine with it. I don't think it's something that I love, but I think it is perfectly acceptable for what they're going for. I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed is that conversation of getting, you know, some more big-name players into the postseason, like mm. Mike Mike Trout. Yes. You know, and that's a good point. They've played him, what, like one game? And he's played him one playoff game? Mm-hmm. You know, which seems absurd. The best player you know, in our generation has only played him one postseason game. We think of all the you know, the Rockies players over the year, the great players. How often did they play in the postseason? So at least it gives some guys more opportunities. You know, 
if your goal is to be the third wild card, you should reevaluate yourself because that should not be your top goal. But it at least gives teams like the Mariners an opportunity to get in who were just missed getting into the playoffs last year. So I I like it, but like you guys said, you know, give or take, but I think 12 teams, it's a good postseason. It's fine. Yeah, it's solid enough. And unfortunately, uh, there's no more Game 163 tiebreakers. So uh, That's a tough one, man. That one's a bit of a bummer. Did Matt Holiday touch home plate? He did. Obviously, he did. Always. He touched home plate. He did. <laughs> but, uh, moving on, plenty more things to hit on. Uh, this other big implementation, the six-pick draft lottery. Uh, so, for the first time, baseball will have a draft lottery, which pretty fun. A unique way to do things. Uh, how much of an impact do you think this is going to have, Matt, or have Evan? Um, they have they have some interesting pro- that exact they reaction. Have some interesting protections in there to avoid the abuse of the draft lottery through tanking, which I I'm actually totally down for. Where uh, you can only be in the lottery two years in a row. Um, which I and if and if you're for the third year in the row, then you will you know. I think you start at like ten or something like that. Uh, this is the 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 biggest lottery in American professional sports. I think the other teams that do it do four, um, but I do like that there are protection there to to prevent abuse, like especially that whole you know you can only be in that lottery so many times, and I think baseball is a weird sport in that. You know, sometimes there is a consensus number one overall pick, and sometimes there's not. And I think if these, you know, the teams that are in the lottery are able to grab that one guy um, that they like, at least in that top four or top six, uh, I'm totally down for that. I've been okay with the implementation of a draft lottery. I like how they appear to have done it here, so... Be. It's it's weird because like I think baseball more than any of the other major sports here in the states really has a clear obvious advantage to tanking right like and that's what they're trying to avoid with this new draft lottery. Um, I do like it. I think the problem with it is that it can still be gamed a bit, but I do think it. I do believe it is a better system than just tanking straight up. Not that, not that, like, you know, it's, it's, they're, like, trying to get people to tank, obviously, but it is true, like, you know, that's how the Astros got to where they are, and, and like, the Cubs are, have done that in the past, and things like that, so it is, I do think it is a better alternative, although I don't think it's perfect. Yeah, and, you know, it's hard because there will be teams that are intentionally tanking, and then there are teams that are just plain bad. Right. You know, and so how do you gauge that, you know, and penalize teams and, and such and such, but... I think overall that draft lottery, personally as a Rockies fan, that gives me hope that maybe one day we can get a number one overall pick and just get a superstar stud. You know, get like a Jack Leiter or something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something like that. So I do like that it adds in some of that randomness. You know, just because you're the worst team in baseball, you know, just because you're the Orioles doesn't mean you're going to get another number one pick exactly. to add to your system. So, you know, and if you have get those chances for the lottery if you don't make the postseason. So even if you're the Mariners who just barely missed the playoffs, 
they still have a minuscule chance to get that number one pick. No. So I, I think it's a good system. It should be good for baseball. It'll be interesting to see how it works out for this coming season and, and everything. Uh, but rapid fire here are just a couple more things. Uh, Rule 5 draft, the AAA function, that one was canceled for this year uh, just with the late implementation. Uh, arbitration and stuff. They're going to be working on those, and the hearings will happen during the season. There's that. Uh, the international draft, that was a big sticking point we mentioned earlier uh, because the international system, signing and everything, it is, it's messy. It's not perfect. And yes, they've agreed to negotiate it, and if it's not implemented, if they don't figure out something that will work by July, uh, if it's implemented, the qualifying offer, draft pick compensation, those will go away. If it's not implemented and they can't figure it out, status quo resumes, qualifying offers stick around and everything, which I think is a good compromise because that's a messy system that they need time to work out. Let's see here. See, sorry, I, I, I like a lot of these. And I'm just trying to like kind of compartmentalize these because I know these are all like things we go on and on about. I know we're kind of rapid firing these. The biggest one for me is service time manipulation. Mm-hmm. And again, Scott, you and I were talking about this before we started talking today. Uh, I think that's great. The five options max in a player uh, each year, I think that is the right move. Service time manipulation to me is really, really frustrating. And I can only imagine how frustrating it is for the players themselves. So if these sort of of these sort of quick hits, that's the one that sticks out to me because it is easily my favorite change. It It is up there with my favorite change in this entire CBA, if I'm being completely honest with you. I think this is one of the things that they absolutely knocked out of the park. Uh, pardon the pun. But uh, but I do think that this was one that they absolutely nailed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Because we got five options max for a player per year. So you can't game the system and just call a guy up and down like 20, right. 20 times during the season in the course of like three weeks. No, so five options max during the season before he has to be exposed to waivers. So that may help you figure out your system a little bit better of calling guys up and letting them stick around, sticking with guys. Um, mm-hmm. Incentives to have top prospects on the roster, uh, basically to call them up on opening day, break camp, and depending on how they perform and other stuff throughout the season, teams can end up with draft picks by calling up their top prospects. They can get those rewards, which, Evan, what, what's your take on that? What, these th- ideas of rewarding teams for calling up their top prospects. I really like that as a way of you know, stopping service time manipulation where if a player is ready but you don't want to you know, bring him up to keep his service time clock from starting or something, I think that's you know, ridiculous because if you have a top prospect who's not only going to help your team potentially win, but it's also going to, you know, bring in more interest from the fan base, why, you know, keep him down there? And then if he does perform up to standards or he's a top performer, then you get a bonus for um, for letting him play and, and doing his thing, which I think is great. Yeah, it, it should be good. And those players... No, if it's like a Wander Franco, they appear, they'll get called up partway into the season, like in May or something. Uh, if they they can get a full year of service time, if they're called up later and they still place up in the tops, like Rookie of the Year, MVP, you know, performance stuff. So 
I, I think they've made some huge strides, like Max saying, to limit service time manipulation oh, and stop gaming the system so teams can get an extra year of control of a guy because they called him up oh, after, a spe- after a specific day or something. Mm. So I think that will go a long way. I really way. like the, especially the five options max is, is I think big. Yeah. The Rockies especially have been very guilty of abusing player options to the point where eventually the team has no choice but to have them on the roster because they've burned through all of their options. We saw it with Raimel Tapia. We saw it with Jonathan Daza. They, it's something that they're very guilty of doing. And now that there's going to be actual consequences for that, I think we see them do it much less. Definitely. Yeah, and it's like, it, I think it'll also give some bigger opportunities to other guys. I know this is a weird way to look at it, you know. But say you really do need a guy on your team that will kind of help you throughout the year, and he is going to get some time up and down. You no, know, maybe replacing injured players, other such things. Um, maybe we don't know the whole entire details about this logistics of it, but calling a guy up and down, he can help out the club, you know, where getting opportunities where may otherwise he probably wouldn't have gotten them otherwise. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they send him down a fifth time. Another team picks him up. They keep him on the roster, and then he has a good career there. So I like that it's helping protect these players so they're not getting abused and, oh, and just giving them opportunities. Absolutely. Uh, let's see here. One last thing here for our CBA, which I think interesting one. A uh, couple things. Nine-inning doubleheaders are back. Uh, it's no more of the seven-inning stuff. Also, no more runner on second rule in Thank extra innings. God. Uh, pers- 100%. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. I actually like that rule. Yeah? I like to run around why. second. It's just I don't like how long sometimes extra innings games can go. Maybe if they did, like, the extra runner starting in, like, the 12th inning or something, mm-hmm. that would be, like, ideal. But uh, watching some minor league games – once because they do that in the minors to get games over quicker because you don't have the the focus there isn't to win the games and everything sure it's more so just get guys working and developing i just like it because you know sometimes a game can run long and to protect the team and its players for the next game but it's whatever back to a regular is fine but for sure i'm sad to see it go because i kind of like that rule for sure i can dig it Speaking of rules, real quick, MLB ability to implement changes in offseason with 45 days notice uh, was agreed upon. Typically, MLB would have a year that they could unilaterally implement rule changes. Uh, but starting after this season, so before the 2023 season, MLB has that ability to implement changes 45 days prior. Uh, and it'll be made up of a committee of, I think, four players and an umpire and six major league representatives to make up this committee to figure out like game changes, quality of life. So that includes things like the shift ban, pitch clock, giant bases, uh, robotic umpires, stuff like that. Uh, are there any specific changes you guys were hoping for that were coming up in the negotiations that you hoped might have gotten implemented or you're excited about maybe getting implemented? I really like that committee. I think that's really cool. Um, you know, in the past, the baseball, you know, th- the gods that they are, the, the ownership of baseball could just unilaterally change rules on a year's notice. And that was just kind of it. And it was like, yeah, no, this is happening. I think having 
um, a committee as well as, you know, players and an umpire. I think that's a really cool concept. And, and the other thing is the players have to be active players. It's for active players as well as a special group that is assigned by MLB and one umpire. I think that's a really cool meeting of the minds. Gets the perspective from all angles and, you know, talks about whether or not these rules should happen based on all of the different perspectives. I think that's a really cool change, and I'm excited to see what comes out of that. Yeah, I was really worried about the um, implementation of rule changes within 45 days just because of that, you know, previous unilateral pushing of new rules by Major League Baseball beforehand. But I do uh, really like the idea of this, you know, committee made up of people involved in the game as well as MLB reps in order to discuss those rules. And I'm hoping that it can sort of keep, you know, unnecessary or, or detrimental rule changes from being pushed through. Yeah, it's good that it has all those perspectives you know, so we don't have MLB just thrown in a random thing. Uh, right. One of the rules that uh, – this is the, probably the hot topic, but banning of shifts – I think that's kind of the big talk among a lot of people, um, aside from all the memes about giant bases and everything, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is the banning of the shift. Um, I don't know, what's your guys' take on that one? Are you hoping to see that implemented? Uh, are you for or against it? What's what's the deal with the shift? What do you got on this, Evan? I have, I have an opinion, but I'd like to hear what you have so, to say about this. I am I am against the complete ban of the shift. I think you can definitely add some restrictions to the shift. Like, there's no reason for your shortstop to be deep in right field against certain batters. Um, like, if you wanted to make it so it's like only infielders in the infield and only outfielders in the outfield, or you know, your infielder can only go past this certain depth in the outfield, I think that's fine. Um, ideally, I think there would be no changes like i don't i don't think you need to ban the shift completely but i can see some ways that you could um you could modify the shift to make it so that everybody's a little bit more happy with it versus just completely getting rid of it i agree actually i'm surprised i thought we would have a difference of opinion <laughs> on this one um i agree with you i don't think Banning the shift is really necessary. I, I get, like, the idea of, like, maybe, oh, well, you know, the infielders, infielders can line up wherever they want, at whatever depths they want, but they just have to have at least one foot on the dirt, you know, when the pitch is thrown or something like that. I don't know what it might be, right? But I do think that, like, I think shifting is a strategy, and I know people don't like that because they like to see base hits and offense and everything, but, like, you know far be it for me to tell an athlete how to play their game and just say, well, we'll just hit it to the other side. But it's just kind of like, I don't know, man. Like it, 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 to me, it's like, you know, you can't ban certain basketball defenses because they shut down, you know, a hitter. You can't be like, well, no more double teaming. Cause that's too hard for them to score anymore. You know what I mean? Maybe that's an oversimplification of it, but I'm with you. I, I think it's unnecessary. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it if they do decide to ban the shift, but it's one of those things to me. That's sort of like a solution in search of a problem. Yeah, and I could see both sides of it. Uh, personally, I do like just limiting of shifts. I know they tried it down in the AFL uh, last fall. Um, I think from what we heard, everybody was good with it. It worked well. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's just in the game's chant, I guess the game's journey and pursuit of trying to increase offense. And one of those things 
is opening up the field a little bit more and rewarding hitters for pulling the ball. Uh, because Joey Gallo is a wonderful hitter. Sometimes he'll hit those line drives right into short right field. Oh, what do you know? There's a player that's standing right there and taking away what would have probably been a hit if everybody was in their natural position. Uh, mm-hmm. So it could be one of those things. I think the big rule was they want to keep people. You know, there's two on either side of the bag. They can move wherever. You know, maybe keep their. they have to stay on the infield dirt, all that stuff. So there's a lot of things to figure out with it. But I think modifying the shift and what you can do with it, so you're not getting those extreme ones where you basically have two right fielders, I think that would go a long way in helping the game itself, especially for hitters, because, like you say, they can't just hit it the other way. Baseball is not that simple. So find ways to reward your hitters because the, the, the defense has all the control of where they can stand and uh, they can stand in the exact right spot where a guy's hitting where the pitcher's throwing the ball. So, Sure. It'll be interesting to see, see what happens in 2023 if that brings about and everything. I think that's why they have the minors and all these partner leagues oh, yeah. so they can implement these changes and get more data. I'm like, this is how much it helped the game and such and such, yep. like with the pitch clock. Wants to, wants to kind of experiment uh, utilizing those systems. I think that's a another benefit to having them, absolutely. So... It, a lot of changes, though, overall for the future of baseball. Uh, overall, are you happy with the final result, the changes that are coming, or are you kind of like some of those other players that are like, man, we could have gotten some more with the CBA? Overall, I'm happy with it. I think there's definitely going to be some more conversations, like I said, like five years from now. There's definitely some more concessions that need to be made, and maybe some more changes to implement, you know, certain other aspects of the agreement that couldn't be reached this time around. But I think Evan said at the very top of the show, man, like if you look at this lockout being a complete and utter breakdown of communication between two sides, I think that this is the best possible sort of middle ground that we were ever going to find in this juncture, right? Like I said, maybe five years now it looks different, but right now, The game is not vastly changed. I think it's a bit more open to new ideas and to new concepts than it's been in the past. The players, you know, appear to be pretty happy with it. Owners obviously didn't lose too much in this. I think, uh, I think this is a pretty solid, uh, agreement right now. How about you, Evan? Are you happy? (laughs) I'm sort of in the middle. I think, uh, it could definitely be better for players, but I think what they did manage to achieve, overall is is pretty good and you know all we can do is sort of hope that they can keep building on this for the next um for the next cba down the line but i think the issue is that while yeah the players could have fought even harder for some more of the different stuff you were really risking one having actual games be canceled and two Mm -hmm. really having the 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 public perception turn against the players especially on things like social media and stuff like that where you were already starting to see that and i think it only would have gotten worse with time sure what about you skylar how you feel about this whole thing i I think it's i'm just one i think all of us can agree we're just happy baseball's back yes Um, (laughs) definitely but i think overall I think it was a good deal. Yes, neither side got exactly what they wanted, 
but I think the players did have a huge win. Uh, they started really high on their asks. They came down uh, way more than they probably had a right to uh, or felt like they deserved, but they came down and forced MLB to make some big changes to kind of meet them part way. Uh, and so this one's a clear win for the players. They didn't get everything they wanted, but they stuck it to the owners, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Because, yeah. like we mentioned, I think a lot of the goal for MLB and the owners was to break the union. And I know somebody asked Rob Manfred in his conference press conference the other day, asking him, like, were you, you know, amazed or surprised by you know, how firm the, the union was, how they stood together, their resolve and everything? No, and I think he was right. He mentioned, like, no, we weren't surprised because they were, like, one of the best unions in America. Oh, and I think the MLB union, they made some big gains, and they proved, like, they're not just going to roll over because the owners say to. Uh, so they stood their ground. They made a lot of big gains. You know, and they baseball's, I think, in a better place now than it was five years ago as a result mm-hmm. of this deal, and it'll be in a better place five years from now uh, for the next CBA. So I think overall I'm happy. You know, good changes. Baseball's back. Lockout's done. Rockies can... We're back. Yeah, we're back in black. Yeah, we are. <laughs> uh, Rockies can start doing stuff now, uh, which unfortunately they have been. Well, not unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but really quick, uh, before we close out here, just touch on a couple of Rockies things. Uh, big news coming from the team. It was kind of a surprise. Uh, Scott Van Lanten was fired from the team. Uh, we don't exactly know the reasons. Patrick Saunders of the Denver Post reported it was kind of major disagreements about his role with the team, uh, things like that. So we don't know the specifics, um, but it was just kind of a surprising move because head of the research and development team, a revamped team, fired just several months after getting hired last fall. Uh, not, What does this mean for the team, Evan? Does this bode well? Uh What's your take on it? I think it's really tough to say because we don't know the specifics. The um, the Rockies have been fairly hush-hush about this other than confirming that he was dismissed, uh, saying that they didn't want to comment on internal matters. All we really have is that source uh, that Patrick Saunders said there was a a major disagreement over his role with the team. And um, that's sort of one of the reasons why we didn't have an, an article up on the on the site is that we just really did not have a lot of information to work with other than the fact that he was dismissed and we're sort of waiting to see what happens i think it's really tough to say how this bodes for the team just because we don't know the actual specifics of his dismissal um it it is unfortunate that uh, a gentleman that we were discussing being such an important get especially bringing him in from outside the organization uh originally um, in, in 2019, he was with the Washington Nationals, and, and he has a lot of experience yep. with other uh, MLB teams. But uh, all the other people who have been brought in, um, I think, are still good gets. Uh, Zach Rosenthal is uh, going to be overseeing the R&D duties in the meantime. I like Zach Rosenthal. I think uh, having him be in charge of that, at least for the time being, is good. They did say that they are going to be refilling Van Lenten's position, so it's not like they're just going to leave it empty like they did with the R&D team last year where we only had, like, 
two guys and they were both outsourced or whatever. So yeah, all we can really do is wait and see. I think the Rockies still do need to improve and beef up their R&D team. And it was definitely a concern to see Van Lenten be dismissed because uh, general manager Bill Schmidt is the one who brought him in. And when he was uh, appointed GM, he, he did talk that big game of you know, analytics being important and wanting to beef up the analytics team. So I think all we can really do now is wait and see how quickly they refill this position and what they do about it and wait and see if we get more details about why specifically Van Lenten was dismissed. Yeah. What about you or uh, Mac? Now this team's down to five people analytics. Now is it obviously something that's this team struggled with? How important is it for them to really beef up that R and D department no, so they can kind of compete with the other teams. I mean, no hate. Obviously, the Rockies are a billion-dollar operation. And they have a lot going on. But, man, it's like Purple Rose Research Analytics Department's bigger than theirs at this point. You know what I mean? Like, like it's great. Like it's, I don't know, man. Like, we're gonna, I'm sure we're going to hear more in the coming weeks, right, about this situation and maybe about just what the culture's like in the Research Analytics Department. But, man, oh, man, this really does seem like a pretty big miss. And like I said, I'm not going to, you know – speculate on what might that you know what the agreement disagreement might have been about because we don't know right but like purely at face value this was a big deal signing i know i remember evan specifically was really really excited about this signing because like you mentioned man like that that outside influence of a guy that's been doing it for a while and knows what he's doing um it's a bad look right uh and i hate to like end on a sour note but like it is it's a bad look um i hope that maybe they will continue to put resources into their research and development because i do think as the game continues to grow and and change and expand they're going to have to kind of take the the new age way of thinking and even if they don't totally revamp the entire organization around it at least like consider what you know other teams are doing and consider that baseball is different now than it was in the 1800s and even in the you know the 90s when the rockies first became an organization at all so i don't know it's not great in the moment i'm hoping that they that this is just a bump or a hiccup and they'll continue to add to this group but uh yeah it's it's a weird one for sure and, and i think no i said we don't know anything for sure we may never know anything so the least we can do no and i'm guilty of this too we all are because we know the problems that the organization has internally especially with the r&d department uh, we've seen mass exodus of people leaving the team. Yes. Uh, we've had research and analytic people doing laundry uh, and all this stuff. So there's no shortage of jokes and you know, callbacks and references we can make because we know the problems that the team has. Um, and maybe it's just a further indication of Scott Van Linton. Who knows uh, exactly what, and hopefully maybe we get information in the near future so we can kind of have a better clarity um, or something. But for once, we do have to give the team the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they have their reasons for dismissing him. Who knows what it is? Uh, but all we know is the team needs to beef up that research and development department, even more so after losing the person that they hired to lead it. Now they have to fill the void because he hired the most rest of his team. Yeah. And so how does that 
shake up what their approach or their strategy was, uh, what these what this team was going to be working on, how does this impact everything. But one thing's for sure, we need this team because Rocky's got a lot to do yes. uh, in a little bit of time. Yes, very true. But we won't touch it all on an episode for another time. But things for sure, baseball's back, boys. Finally, man. We are back. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah. And so baseball's back. Rockies are back in action. Spring training's underway. They're getting ready to go. So they got a lot of work to do. Philip DH, signings, all this stuff that we'll be sure to be covering here on our podcast as we're getting ready to head back into regular schedule here in the near future. And be sure to follow us all over on Purple Row uh, to get all the latest info and news, things as we learn them, uh, to bring that info to you. But it's nice to say we will be having a full 162-game 2022 season. Woo! (laughs) Yeah, man! (laughs) But that's going to do it here for this edition of Affected by Altitude. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Evan, where can the folks find you and what are you working on? Uh, so my Twitter is at Evan underscore Lang 27. You can also hit us up on the official Affected by Altitude Twitter account, which is at Altitude Effect. I am really looking forward to uh, having a lot more stuff to write about now that the quote-unquote offseason can finally Ain't be underway after all these months. Uh, hopefully we'll get some awesome free agent signings or something to write about on there. My uh, most recent article, which I got a little bit of, little bit of hate on for the timing was about uh russell wilson's baseball career um which i enjoyed writing um but i'm really looking forward to especially being back to doing uh game write-ups once the regular season gets underway i think that's going to be a whole lot of fun and i look forward to providing you all with you know the best stuff that i can absolutely provide for you absolutely absolutely agree how about you, Mac? What are you working on? Where can the people find you? Yeah, man. Uh, I am at Cormac Battle Pro at C-O-R-M-A-C Battle Pro on Twitter. Uh, I'm right there with Evan, man. Getting ready to get back into these game reports. Cannot wait. We're going to keep doing this podcast, and we're going to ramp up how often we do these here pretty shortly. Um, I'm just stoked baseball's back, man. It's we we all been jonesing for it, so I'm ready to dive back into it. Nice. And as for me, you can find me at, at sideline underscore crowd on the Twitters. Uh, meme game's going to be picking up again and <laughs> constantly making jokes. Uh, but That's the real highlight. Yeah. <laughs> but then Sunday Rock Piles, uh, this coming Sunday, so when this episode comes out, check out my article from Sunday. Uh, I think we're going to write about a farewell to pitchers hitting. I'll just talk about some of the Rockies' notable hitting pitchers and kind of a last hurrah for them. Uh or you can also check out my last article where I talk about how the Rockies did each year a live-action Batman movie came out, which they Amazing. weren't great. They weren't very good, very good <laughs> most years. But that's going to do it here for Affected by Altitude. And thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Mac, hit them. Hey, uh, farewell. <laughs> You're so much better at it than me.